You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. All right, we are in John 9, the definitive light. Do you have a favorite of the five senses? Smell, hearing, touch, sight, and taste. That's probably my favorite one. Yeah, maybe a little too much. Uh, But as I think through which sense I would not want to live without, I'd go to sight. Uh, Sight is arguably the most important sense we have. It allows us to interact safely, efficiently, and uh, uh, enjoyably with our world. Um, Obviously, people who have uh, blindness are able to function in life well with adaptive measures. But I think we could agree that vision may be the most valuable sense that we have. Vision is also one of the most interesting and complex phenomena we experience. Wavelengths of light enter our retina and go through our lens and are turned upside down as it's sent to the back of our eyeball, which then turns into electrical signals that go on a nerve to the back of our brain that then are rebuilt into the right side up image that we recognize. And it happens constantly. And it takes a microsecond. It's amazing, right? I mean, think about the eyeball and, and the vision that we have. And so, um, But can you imagine if you had never seen anything in your entire life? You wouldn't have pictures in your mind to understand what's around you. You wouldn't know colors. You wouldn't know what stars are. You wouldn't even have mental images to dream in. This is the dark and lonesome life of the man we encounter in John 9. A man born blind who had never seen the people he begged from or the food he ate. In fact, he had never seen light. He didn't even know the difference between dark and light. I have an experiment for you guys. Everybody close your eyes. Make sure everybody, all right. It gets dark, right? Now put your hands over your closed eyes, and it gets darker, doesn't it? You can open your eyes now. That's an experiment to see that a blind man wouldn't even understand the changing shadows from when you put your, eye, your hand over your eyes. The depth of blindness is so pervasive. We're going to read in John 9 in sections to see this man's story develop. But before I read, uh, I want to make sure that we understand the context of where we are in John 9. Uh, we are still in the last day of the Feast of Booths that started in chapter 7. Jesus has had numerous less-than-friendly interactions with the Pharisees. His teachings are causing a rift in the community where some people believe he might be the Messiah and others believe he has a demon and want to kill him. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus made the mind-blowing and igniting statement to the religious leaders, Before Abraham was, I am. But he escaped their attempts to stone him. John 9 comes on the heels of this encounter, likely as he was leaving the temple. The main point that we should walk away with today 
is knowing that the light of the world reveals truth to the faithful and exposes blindness in the prideful. The light of the world reveals truth to the faithful and exposes blindness in the prideful. So let's read uh, chapter 9. We're going to do verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. All right, John sets the stage for this miracle by showing us uh, what people thought about this man's blindness, uh, that it was either the result of his sin or his parents' sin. He had been cast aside, relegated to a life of begging, and would never hold a job or contribute to society. People would have viewed him with disdain and suspicion because they believed that all ailments and calamities were punishment for sin. It is likely that he felt this way about himself as well. His identity was wrapped up in his blindness and the rejection from society. We can fall into the same trap thinking that how people see us determines our value. But Jesus' response to his disciples in verse 3 reveals that we are made to display the works of God. This man's blindness was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, but for the greater purpose of God's glory. Perhaps you are reflecting on something in your own life that's dark and disturbing. Have you fallen into the belief that your difficulties are punishment, disappointment, or abandonment from God? While it is true that sin has consequences, and there are times that God uses circumstances to draw us to himself, we must be careful to not fall into a misunderstanding that all bad things that happen are the result of sin, displeasure, or punishment. Hard and evil things often happen because we live in a fallen world that's been poisoned by sin. But we must trust that there is always a purpose through the work of God, and we must rest in the intent and character of our all-powerful and good God. In verse 4 and 5, Jesus points out his own purpose for coming into the world, to do the work that God sent him to do, and he references himself as a light of the world. In chapter 1 of John, he speaks uh, of Jesus being the true light who entered the darkness of the world to give light to, the, to everyone. The light he was sent to shine was the true revelation of God. 2 Corinthians 4.6 tells us, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus is God incarnate who came to the earth to reveal himself to us and show us the way to eternal life with him. Remember in chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This miracle here in John 9 is a physical expression 
of what Jesus said in John 8. This man was walking blind in the dark, but when he followed Jesus' instructions, he was exposed to the light through the healing of his blind eyes. As a result of this miracle, this man's eyes were opened, allowing him to literally see himself for the first time and recognize how Jesus had definitively changed his life. Our first point is when God shines the light, those who trust perceive who they are. When God shines the light, those who trust perceive who they are. There are some interesting things to consider regarding this man's congenital blindness that contributed to his identity as a blind man. His blindness, number one, was definitive. There was no doubt that he was completely blind from the beginning of his life. His diagnosis would have been confirmed by medical doctors and verified by the community who watched him grow up blind. It was unchangeable. The second thing is his blindness was defining. He couldn't think in images like we can. Dreams and memories were not based on visual constructs. A chair didn't look like a chair. It felt like a chair. It wasn't a sunny day. It was a warm day. His blindness had impacted how he perceived and experienced life. It also dictated what he could and couldn't do. His identity was conjoined to his blindness. It made him who he was, and he could do nothing about it. Maybe you feel like your identity is defined by your circumstances or the way others perceive you. Our society is full of doctored-up profiles and guarded conversations. Identity has become a driving force in our culture, but not necessarily who we truly are, how we, but how we want people to see us. How much of your self-worth and value do you take from your skill at work or school or home? How much defining power do you give to the words and thoughts of other people? True identity is not wrapped up in circumstances, what people think, or even our own self-definition, but in God's plan. And God's plan was to reveal himself to this man and the world by healing his blindness. It's kind of unexpectedly short in the account of the healing. You would think that there would have been a lot more commentary on something so eventful as a blind man receiving his sight. But it simply says he went and washed and came back seeing. It's kind of like he just went to the bathroom to wash his hands before dinner. But the reality of this miracle was epic. Imagine you were a bystander watching things play out. You would watch this man throughout his life, stumbling through the streets and falling over as he was knocked. Maybe you helped guide him to his begging mat and sometimes even brought him food and water only to watch him knock it over as he reached for it. You saw his frustration as he had to figure out how to get home by sound and touch and his sadness when people laughed and disregarded him maybe even spitting on him in disdain because of the sin that they thought he had brought upon himself. Maybe you spoke with him and felt his hopelessness and shame, knowing that there was no cure for his blindness and disdain from other people. Or maybe you're the one who thought he got what he deserved for whatever his parents or himself had done. 
So you see Jesus walk over with his disciples and spit on the ground, make mud, and put it on his eyes. You would think that's odd, but as an Israelite, saliva is used like medicine, since it was viewed as having medicinal properties. I just pictured a mom, you know, cleaning off the mud, right? (laughs) He placed the mud on his eyes and told him to wash in the pool of Siloam, which is kind of weird. Why couldn't Jesus have healed him right then and right there? Instead of making him walk 2,000 feet downhill and downstairs to this pool. But then you realize that the pool of Siloam is where pilgrims on their way to the temple begin their ritual cleansing before making their offering to the Lord. You follow him there because you want to see what happens. And once he makes it down the final steps and washes his dirty face, you see him look at his hands dripping with mud. He lifts his head and with his eyes wide open looks around and sees the water, sees the people, sees the stairs. He looks up and squints in the light for the first time in his life. He jumps up and begins yelling, I can see, I can see, Jesus made me see. You look at each other eye to eye and see a smile that his face can't contain and realize Jesus sent him to the pool not only to cleanse the mud from his face, but also to show the internal healing that God performs when the light of Christ shines on a redeemed soul. God had miraculously opened his eyes and caused him to finally see for himself. A man who had never seen anything his entire life could suddenly see it all. His eyes and brain that had no prior function had been fully healed. Visual function, sorry. Visual function. His healing was definitive because it was undeniable, complete, and and life-changing. He would no longer have to beg or be shamed by his blind condition. His identity had suddenly changed when Jesus healed his eyes. This miracle illustrates for us a deeper spiritual reality. Everyone is born into spiritual darkness and separation from God. Just as this man's blindness was definitive and defining, so is our sin nature. Because of our sin, everything about us is sinful. It determines how we think, how we act, how we respond. But we are blind to it. We can't see how bad our sin is against a holy God. And we also don't believe we will be punished for it. The blind man knew he was blind, but he didn't really understand the fullness of that blindness until he could see for himself. We can't see ourselves clearly until we see ourselves as God sees us. This happens when the Spirit shines the light of God's Word on us and we realize our sinful condition and turn to God for salvation. Just as He delivered this man from blind to sight, God delivers those who trust Him from darkness to light. Colossians 1.13 says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you are in Christ, do these truths excite you? Are you filled with gratitude and joy toward God? 
Imagine the excitement and gratefulness you would have toward Jesus if you were the blind beggar that he had healed. You are the blind beggar that he had healed. If you believe in Jesus, you have been healed from a lifetime of blindness to God. Because of the light of God, you can perceive who you are in Christ. Your God-given identity will prove to be a solid foundation through the trials of life. Let's get back to our passage to see how this man's new identity anchors him through doubt, accusation, and abandonment. So we're going to look at verse, read verses 8 through 23. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I, don't, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed, already agreed, that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Immediately, the blind man was faced with doubt from his neighbors. Can you imagine him running up from the pool in the street yelling, I can see, I can see. And some people are like, isn't that the blind guy? And others are like, nah, he just looks like him. However, in the midst of these doubting friends and family, this man continued to tell of his new identity as the former blind man who could now see. They bring him to the Pharisees to verify his healing, and he ends up getting accused of lying. It's kind of a funny scene. We have all of these people that probably came with him to the synagogue saying, hey, this guy was blind, but he can see now. And this guy himself is saying, yeah, I was blind, but now I can see. Uh, and un unfortunately, the Pharisees refused to believe him. Called him a liar, so they brought in his parents. It's kind of like a bunch of kids on the playground arguing about what had happened. They didn't believe him, so they were going to tell his parents on him. The parents did admit that he was their son who was born blind, but they wouldn't comment on how he could now see. 
They really just wanted to get out of there. So they abandoned their son and left him to fend for himself. Verse 24 tells us what happens next. We're going to read 24 and 25. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. When the Pharisees tried to bully him into defaming Jesus as a sinner, even under the oath of God, he stuck to what he knew. Though I was blind, now I see. In the face of doubting neighbors, accusing leaders, and abandoning parents, he stood firm on the new identity Jesus had provided him. This man's example should encourage us to hold tightly to the identity God gives us in Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you are no longer labeled by how well you do something, what you have, or who likes you. Your worth doesn't depend on your status or your job or how well you keep your home. Other people don't get to define who you are by pressuring you into doing what they want you to do. Your identity is anchored in the bedrock love of God through Jesus Christ. If you trust Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of God. This is who you are. When you find yourself slipping into the old thought patterns of blindness, be reminded that you have been given the gift of sight by the death of Christ so you can see who you are in Him. When God shines the light, those who trust see who they are in Christ. The second point flows from the new identity into our new purpose. When God shines the light, those who trust proclaim who Jesus is. When God shines the light, those who trust proclaim who Jesus is. Let's go back a couple of verses uh, to see how the, where the blind man began his proclamation of Jesus. In verse 11, he tells the neighbors that the man, Jesus, had healed him. And I like that because we all know that Jesus is the man, right? The man Jesus healed him. And again, he credits Jesus with healing in verse 15 as response to the Pharisees' question. But the Pharisees didn't really care. They wanted to trap Jesus. They knew what people were starting to say about him, and they had to immediately and decisively stop the rumors. Their problem stemmed from the prophecy of Isaiah 35 that spoke of the Messiah opening blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears, and making the lame leap. This prophesied miracle became one of the clearest indications and expectations of the Messiah. Rather than being astonished and excited about this long-awaited miracle, however, the Pharisees wanted to dismiss the blind man, disregard the miracle, and discredit the healer. Jesus was challenging their authority and power, and they had to find a way to stop this growing problem. If they could convict Jesus of sin for healing on the Sabbath, they could discredit his claim to be from God and get rid of him for good. So they turned to their law book, not God's law, but their own additions that they made to God's law. According to their self-made rules, nobody was allowed to practice medicine on the Sabbath. So if Jesus used saliva, which was like medicine, to heal the man's eyes, 
he was practicing medicine on the Sabbath. They may have also argued that Jesus had done potter's work by making mud to put on his eyes. They were convinced that Jesus was guilty of breaking their Sabbath rules, and therefore he could not be from God because he was a sinner. When they finally asked the man's opinion about Jesus, he proclaimed he is a prophet. His view of Jesus had progressed from the man to a prophet by verse 17, which was highly, a highly revered holy person sent to speak the words of God. For Jesus to be proclaimed a prophet, he was put on the same pedestal as Daniel, Isaiah, and Moses. This was too much for the Pharisees. That's when they called his parents to try to expose him as a liar, which we know didn't work out in their favor. But notice in verse 22 that fear is what kept the parents from crediting Jesus for the healing because the Pharisees had threatened excommunication for anybody who shared information that suggested Jesus might be the Messiah. However, this threat did not stop the former blind man from proclaiming Jesus as his healer or even a prophet. When their attempts to dismiss the blind man as a liar didn't work, and they couldn't disregard the miracle, they ramped up the intensity of their third and final scheme to discredit Jesus. But in verse 25, under the oath of God, the former blind man would not and could not agree with them that Jesus was a sinner. Let's look at verse 26 through 34 and see how this man ramps up his own response to the aggressive bullying of the Pharisees. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world has uh, began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. As we continue to observe this courtroom mockery by the Pharisees, these religious elites go back to the same question about how he performed his miracle on the Sabbath. You can almost hear the man's eyes nearly roll out of his eye sockets in disbelief at being again asked how Jesus healed him. He turns his answer in verse 27 into an inflammatory question back. I have told you already, do you want to become his disciple? But like a kid who is terrible at comebacks, they said, no, you're his disciple. <laughs> Their argument boasted in the religious pedigree as they claimed to be disciples of Moses. Essentially, they were saying, my dad is better than your dad. Their blind refusal of the evidence staring back at them 
is truly shocking and sad. By this point, the seeing man had lost all reverence for these blind lawyers and points out the absurdity of their ignorance as he delivers a full-out, gloves-off proclamation that Jesus must be from God. The sarcasm is so thick, it was slapping them in the face. But even though Jesus... so. Even though Jesus used divine power to open blind eyes, even though Jesus could not have been a sinner because God had listened to him, even though Jesus did a healing that had never been done before since the beginning of the world, the Pharisees blindly, stubbornly, and pridefully refused to see what the former blind man saw. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Another mic drop. In fact, between Jesus and this man, you probably would see seven or eight mics laying around the ground by now. But this was a definitive blow. The blind beggar had dismantled their attack. He successfully argued that his healing proved that Jesus must be from God. This man had no shame in proclaiming the truth of the evidence. He remained steadfast in his proclamation, even under the threat of excommunication. In response, to the in response, the Pharisees did what most children do when they lose an argument. They called him names and kicked him out. They said, you were born in utter sin, which really slams the gavel on the case, but not in the way that they were hoping. By condemning him as born in sin because of his blindness, they confirmed the reality of his healing and corroborate the power of God in the one they were trying to discredit. The uneducated, newly sighted beggar standing firm in his proclamation of Jesus should motivate us to proclaim Christ unwaveringly, even when faced with dismissal, disregard, and discredit. Have you been ridiculed for your faith in Jesus? Have you been shamed and set aside because you follow Christ? Remain firm in who you are and in who Christ is. If your identity is found in Jesus, we are to follow the purpose, His purpose, in making God known through Him. Since He is the light, we should be reflectors. Better yet, the end of Ephesians 2 states that we are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. That means His light dwells within us because His Spirit dwells within us, establishing our new identity and empowering our new purpose to proclaim Jesus. Since His light is in us, we are like the lampstands for the truth. We hold Him out for others to see and come and believe themselves. This is our purpose and our new identity, to shine the light of Jesus in this dark world. The way we gather and reflect this light is through the Word of God and by the Spirit. We are like glow paint. The more we absorb in the light, the brighter we shine in the dark. When we open the Word and begin reading it sincerely, we turn on the spotlight to see God in the face of Jesus. Have you turned on the light lately? If you notice that things have grown dim, the joy of your salvation is not as bright as it had been, turn on the light. Go to the definitive searchlight 
and ask God to show you what is casting shadows in your heart. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation so you can proclaim, pro, proclaim the greatness of God with joy. The final part of this man's proclamation of Christ takes place in 35 through 38 as the definitive light of Jesus is fully revealed to him. So let's read 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. After the man was kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus sought him out to finish what he had begun, to complete the eye-opening miracle of salvation. When Jesus asked him if he believed in the Son of Man, he was asking if he believed that God would send the God-man to reveal himself and rescue his people. The Son of Man was a long-awaited and prophesied deliverer of Israel. When Jesus revealed himself as the Son of Man, the light of Christ had fully shone in this man's blind heart. He immediately believed and proclaimed Jesus as Lord, falling prostrate before him in worship. That's the response of those who trust Jesus. When God's light convicts us of our own sin and rebellion, we trust Christ and God's people respond to repentance, belief, and worship. We fail to worship when we forget who we, are, who we were, who we are in Christ, and who Jesus is. But when we come to God in desperation and gaze into the light of the word, we are reminded of the beauty and holiness of God. We respond to his revelation with grateful and humble worship. Our final section, though, shows the heartbreaking reality that not all will believe in Jesus. Throughout this chapter, the Pharisees have obstinately refused against, uh, fought against the reality of the blind man's healing, the argument for Jesus, and now they fight against the exposure of their own blindness. Let's finish reading this chapter, verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. We see true blindness revealed here as Jesus says that he has come into the world for judgment. When the light shines, there are only two responses. You either see it and follow, or you close your eyes and reject it. Our last point is when God shines the light, those who reject persist in blind unbelief. When God shines the light... Those who reject persist in blind unbelief.
This blind unbelief is the judgment. Those who persist in, in it remain guilty and condemned as they reject the only means of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Light can show you the way, but you have to have your eyes open. We like to camp, and when we go camping, we use a lot of headlamps. But we also have come to realize that when you're talking to somebody with a headlamp and you're looking in their face, it can be quite blinding. So what do we do when we uh, don't want to look at that light? We, we either close our eyes or we look away. When you don't want to see the light, you blind yourself to it. Maybe you close your eyes by convincing yourself that you aren't as bad as the Bible says or you're not as bad as others, or maybe you're just a generally a good person and you don't need religion. Maybe you look away by coming up with arguments against the Bible, trying to build a philosophical or logical platform to deny faith in God, saying it's inconsistent or for people who are weak-minded and flawed. Maybe science is your blindfold and you view faith as superstition and the Bible is moral fairy tales. Maybe you blind yourself with busyness and world pursuits, or you just try to ignore what the Bible says about the future so you can enjoy life now. Those who don't want to see what the Word of God reveals about themselves and Jesus persist in their unbelief and are condemned in their prideful rejection of Christ. They stand guilty before a holy judge because there is no pardoning apart from Christ. There is no other way beside Christ. There is no true healing without Christ. Will you be like the healed blind man or the blind Pharisees? Will you trust the truth revealed by the light or will it expose your blindness? The healed man knew he was blind and couldn't fix it himself. He trusted Jesus for healing and was given real sight and saving faith. However, those who could see physically were in a worse state because they thought they could see God, but were actually blind to the truth because of their own pride and self-righteousness. The presence of Jesus on earth was judgment. Through the work he performed in life on the cross, and from the grave, he shined the light of truth that requires a decision. His light reveals a fork in the road where we must choose to believe him with open eyes or reject him with eyes shut. The healed blind man stood before his neighbors, his parents, and the religious leaders as a fork in the road too. Upon seeing and hearing his testimony of Jesus, they had a choice to make whether they would believe what he said or refuse the evidence in their own blindness. Jim Elliott made this prayer. Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. This former blind man was a crisis man. 
Even under the pressure of accusation, intimidation, and ridicule, he remains steadfast in proclaiming the truth of Jesus. May we also be forks in the road where people see Jesus in us and are faced with the crisis within themselves to see or remain blind. May, may God's light shine from us into the surrounding darkness and draw others in to believe the truth of Jesus in salvation for God's glory. You pray with me. Father, thank you for revealing truth through your word, for sending the light of Christ so that we could see you, so that we could know you. And it wasn't just to show us our sin, but you showed us a way out. You showed us redemption and salvation through Christ, that we don't have to live in darkness and blindness. Thank you, God, for revealing to us the truth of Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we pursue you, as we look into your word to, to receive that light and that brightness that we can shine in the dark world around us, the goodness of, of you, your love and your kindness and your mercy and your patience with us, and that you truly are the way, that you have the light uh, that we long for. Help us to, to present that well as we spend more and more time uh, in you and, and loving you and, and with you in the word and with each other, Lord. God, I ask that you make yourself real to those who are blind, to those who are not seeing right now. That you will help them to see the sin that separates them from you and that you are a loving God who wants to redeem them but if they continue to refuse and reject, that they will be punished for their sin in eternity without you. God, soften their hearts. Shine your light on their hearts so that they will come to you and use us in any way that, that, that we can be used to draw people to you, Lord. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.